Support Black Podcast. Meet Shannon, Cameron, Lauren, and Mel. Four black women who are bonded by nerd culture as they discuss all things comics, games, movies, and TV. Join them bi-weekly on the Nerds of Prey podcast. That's Nerds of Prey, P-R-E-Y podcast. A different kind of nerd culture podcast because they love you back. Available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and every place that you find the best in podcasts, including nerdsofpreypodcast.com. Check them out. And remember, support Black Podcasts. George, how should I introduce you? Because you do everything. Writer, artist, designer, New Yorker. New Yorker. Damn, I like that. Well, a professional New Yorker covers it all right there. Shit, I want to do that. Writer, I'm artist, I'm... designer, professional New Yorker. I mean, they already sound so that. Were you born in New York? <laughs> See? He's a native New Yorker. I just recently found out I was born in the Bronx, but it disturbed me. <laughs> You just found out you were this. <laughs> no, no, sorry. This is so good for me. <laughs> we have a running. So, his family is Puerto Rican, mine is Panamanian, but we do this thing where we criticize each other's cultural heritage okay. ad nauseum, and we go to depths of it. So, you know, there was a story about Puerto Ricans killing the stray dogs by drowning them. That gave me about at least two months of currency. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas her country's major export is cocaine. <laughs> this is what we do. That's a lifetime of currency. I'm, mm-hmm. I have to, I'm saying, not bananas, cocaine. Whatever. We do not sell cocaine. We just wash money. It's much <laughs> I stand corrected. Yes, know. yes. So, oh, this is so much better. Be real than what we were missing before. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Michelle Mission Two Men One Podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Len, aka the Bat Tribble of Black Tribbles fame. And as always, I'm joined by my partner. Hey, hey, this is Vincent Williams. It's All Soul Wednesdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on G-Town Radio. Oh, the fun doesn't stop here on Planet Brooklyn, ladies and gentlemen, as we <laughs> dip into probably in my mind, the last great autobiography that I have seen, mm. that, which would be Spike Lee and Denzel Washington's Malcolm X. Wow. From 1992. So you haven't yeah. seen a great yeah. biography on film since 92? Autobiography. Well, yeah, biography. I don't think I've, I've seen a real good full auto, I mean, biography film since, since Malcolm X. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to. Yeah. Side I mean, the full biography. Right, There's right. been movies that talk about particular moments in people's lives. Right, right. Lives, but you like mean beginning to end or, or. But like. Hell, Great Balls of Fire. Mm. But, right. But but Malcolm X is like beginning to end True. his True. life. Okay. And okay. it literally is the beginning of his film, of, of his life. To the end. And 
Tuesday, it's the end. Because yeah. it's a long film. It's a very long film. So long that we needed not one, but two guests That's on right. To talk That's about right. Spike Lee's magnum opus. We were playing spades. I'd say we were spades tight. And if I was white, I couldn't make that joke. <laughs> Fortunately, our guests can... Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are joined here by uh, writer, artist, designer, pro- designer, professional New Yorker yes. himself. It is George Carmona. 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 Excuse yeah. me. Carmona. Yes. Hit that R. Hit, hit it. <laughs> hit the hell out of an R. Carmona here on the Michelle Mission. And he brought along with him the a professor of African-American studies and history at Fordham University, Dr. Lisa Gill. All right. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having us. It's a great pleasure. Great pleasure. Welcome to the Michelle Mission, both of you. Great to have you. George, I remember on Twitter when you first hit us up about how you had found our show, the Michelle Mission, and you literally uh, just left a note, catching up on all of the past episodes, <laughs> we'll be back with commentary. Yeah. And then he gave us, he gave us <laughs> running commentaries on all of the shows that he was listening to. So we're very happy that you. Yes. It's good to actually right. have you. Glad to be here to, you know, finally put a face to the whole nicest move. <laughs> <laughs> You know she actually agrees with you? Lisa agrees. Well, she does have a PhD. I'm saying, I'm like... <laughs> For those who just I, stepping so, in, you know, to this run... Clearly this, a highly intelligent woman. I'm questioning... Like, intelligent women look to her and say, she's smarter than me. <laughs> so... The running debate here on the Michelle Mission is who is the greater rap duo, Kid and Play or Nice and Smooth? I contend that it is Nice and Smooth. Vince lands on the side of Kid and Play. Lisa, what say you? Ola, ola. <laughs> That's right. That's Kid right. Kid and Play all day long. Oh, How I, so? I, I mean, you're giving me the dirty look right now, yeah. and I understand <laughs> that somewhere deep inside this means uh, just just horror to you. But kid and play, always kid and play. They they are a dynamic duo. They had films. They had a cartoon. I think they even had no, one of these. They didn't have a cartoon. They, they did have, have a cartoon. cartoon. They had, what? They, <laughs> thankfully, I blanked that out. <laughs> they had oh, a cartoon. They had a cartoon. Had I'll a give cartoon. you that. They did have a cartoon. They had much more wider appeal, and they also were, you know, they were kind of the fun part of hip hop, the playfulness at the time during that, you know golden era where you could have many varied forms of hip-hop music and rap music kid and play stood as this kind of i don't know column of just fun playfulness and also we're you know black people and we can do this and not be you know buffoonish or coonish so i enjoyed them now see yeah don't you see no don't do that she's a guest (laughs) Then I'll let then I'll let George speak. Speak, Carbona, go. No, no. I mean, nice and smooth are what? one of those pillars of hip hop. So you can't because it's a whip. 
No, not <laughs> just women. I mean, like, what do you say? I mean, for for decades they've had people mind melded thinking Dizzy Gillespie played a sax. Come on, you know that's <laughs> nothing. That's, that's nothing to be proud of. Either one, but I mean, they were able to just make a flow with things that I look. I understand that you have affinity mm. for these two, but what I'm saying is they were and name three girl and play songs. And so I feel you because these are Bronx types, so that's good. But they did not have an appeal outside of New York that would have solidified them as a rap duo that you're gonna be able to say longevity. Yes, these are the people who you're going to continuously bring up as a great rap duo. But I think with Kid and Play, the only reason they do that is because they just happen to have a movie. They happen to have three. That no two. Uh, and then when they had the little that, boy, Akron or actually four, it was yeah, three house was, parties oh, and party. class thank, act. Thank you. Yes, but again, you forget about those movies. Those are forgettable movies. When are they coming up in the Michelle Mission rotation? <laughs> <laughs> House party is actually house party is actually been on our short yes. list for a couple of years. Clearly, it will stay there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm saying that's that's the the outside appeal. If it's not for that, would people know about Kid and Play? Hell, people still do their dance. Yes, people. But would know because about they them. saw it in the movie. No. Here's the no. thing. <laughs> I don't. I, there cannot be an argument of whether or not. Kid and Play were more successful than Nice and Smooth. Okay. There's no, there's no okay, argument. Yeah. They were more successful. Did they have w- wider appeal? Of course they did. Okay? I'm not going to knock that. And, and I don't mean to come off as like Kid and Play haters because yeah. I'm not. I don't like Play, but <laughs> I, I enjoy a good kid with the best of them. You know what I mean? But my contention, strictly, it's, and this, in my mind, this is strictly a pure hip hop debate. Okay. And as a pure hip hop debate, there is no question that Nice and Smooth are the better duo and greater duo. I contend that they, I contend that on their rhymes, because they were so different, in many ways, they balance each other better than Kid and Play, who sometimes, if it wasn't for the voice, you may not be able to tell their rhymes apart uh, or set that kids were maybe, you know, nine tenths or one tenth better than Play's anemic rhymes. Um, Play stole his lunch money in 1984. Ah, okay. We don't really like to. Okay. And gotcha. I, I don't like play, but it was, um, like, it was like pizza day. And uh, but the other the other thing is that yeah. whereas nice and smooth, I feel in hip hop did cut, you know, however thin a lane for themselves. I would agree with that. The lane that you're saying that kid and play had in pure hip hop, mm-hmm. as far as you know, the fun side, mm-hmm. not being derogatory or mm-hmm. anything like that. I think that lane was. Burst open and done so much better, even at that same time, by Heavy D. Yes, Heavy D 
But Heavy D wasn't just fun. I think Heavy D True. also came up came with um He was sexy, he was um, street, he was rugged. Right. Because he, had... he was better than Kid in Play. Wow. Yes, Heavy D, right? <laughs> and if you understand that we're talking about <laughs> Whoa. Right. I'm not sure how Heavy D got into this. One brand. <laughs> right, but even with the boys, all they did was dance. <laughs> Heavy D's. Hey, one of them was Heavy a... D danced. No, everything was rocking it. One of the boys DJ'd. Okay. So, duo. uh, (laughs) um, Getting back to that. I agree with you that Heavy D definitely did a lot more for um, the whole aspect of hip hop that was not gangster rap and wasn't um, even creating this kind of African heritage linkage that they did as well during this time period. But what I think that Kid and Play did, and you know, you could shoot them in the foot for this if you want to, is they actually made hip hop a genre of music that people could look at. That was a genre that it hadn't been before. Mm-hmm. I think part of what happens with black um, cultural products and, and especially black music is that it stays encapsulated for a point of time in black culture and then it moves on um, by force or, or, you know, other methods. Theft. <laughs> yeah. Theft is theft. the word that we're looking for. The trying not to say. <laughs> right, theft. <laughs> but it goes into this uh, dominant popular culture avenue. And I think what, at least for some part, Kid and Play played a role in that. They did. Nice now. and smooth did not. not. Given nice and smooth's trajectory, given their lyricism, which, yes, it was much more, you know. Questionable. Mm-hmm. Not that good. <laughs> okay. They rhyme slow, they rhyme quick. Yes. Uh, what else do you yes. want from yes. them? Yes. Uh, okay. uh, coherence. <laughs> I was going to say that, but you know. Coherence, actually. I'm a fan I, of coherence. <laughs> I don't think that you would have had, hip hop would not have had the same trajectory if you didn't have groups like Kid and Play and it didn't make it, you know, the billion dollar industry it is now. Like I said, you could kill them for this or you could praise them for this or you could be in the middle. But definitely, unlike Heavy D and unlike Nice and Smooth, Kid and Play opened up the genre to different kinds of people. And that is what makes them better. So now we know where our guests stand. We can talk about Malcolm X. Yeah. Let's get Brother Malcolm. Do you know where you came from? What's your name? Malcolm Little. No. That's the name of the slave masters who own your family. You don't even know who you are. Who are you? Say Roseland. Roseland. He was a pusher, a hustler, a thief. You ready to tackle the streets? Yeah, I'm ready. Let him come. <laughs> he was loved, respected, convicted. State your number, little. I forgot. In a dream that's divine. He was a prisoner who set himself free. A Muslim must be strikingly upright. I will not touch the white man's drugs, his liquor, his women. 
so that those in the darkness can see the power of the light. I will not lie, cheat, or steal. I believe you will remain faithful. Yes. He was a follower who became a leader. You're not an American. We didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Plymouth Rock landed on us. He brought honor to disobedience. I suggest you look outside that window. You've been laying down and bowing down for 400 years. I think it's time to stand up. All right, break it up. You got what you wanted. Now, I'm not satisfied. That's too much power for one man to have. And a voice to a people who longed to be heard. You've been hoodwinked. Man boozled. Anti-white. No, you're saying I'm anti-white. I'm sorry, Betty. I haven't been the best in my life. Do you advocate violence? No, sir. Academy Award winner Denzel Washington's most electrifying performance. Director Spike Lee's most powerful film. Can we all live together? I sincerely hope so. Malcolm X, Spike Lee's fifth film from 1992, as the title says, really it is the biography of the fiery, legendary icon, Malcolm X slash El Malik El Shabazz, played by Denzel Washington. This is certainly considered one of Spike Lee's classic films if not his best film and this was a film chosen by our guest so george lisa as we do all the time our our first question is why did you choose it and then our second question is of course what did you think about it malcolm x um well first uh again thank you guys for having us here Uh, when uh, I felt like I tweeted Len something about we got to catch up, have drinks, stuff, and you guys are like, yeah, you should come on the show. And I came up with a list of movies, and I threw Malcolm X on there, and it was just uh, one of those movies. And I was waiting for you guys to pick one, and you didn't. So I was like, all right, we're gonna do Malcolm X. We're gonna either go hard or go home. So uh, that was my uh, choice. And then with picking. Uh, this movie is is just one of my favorites. It's a classic. It's it's a movie. It comes on in the middle. You sit down. You got to watch it. It's my recommendation. So that's why I chose. Well, um, George knows that I wrote my dissertation on Malcolm X. All right. And, really? Yes. So, and my uh, book project is also going to be on Malcolm X. And one of the things that I look at is the. Um, ways in which Malcolm X has entered into popular culture and how that image of him within popular culture gets used and processed and thrown all over the place. So um, we have often had discussions about this film. And so when he said he was going to do this film, I was like, I'm going with you. <laughs> okay. That's why. She just said, she said I'm going. So, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's yeah. a great segue, though. Let's, let's just get right into it. What are your... Sort of initial or your overview. Oh, I didn't want to go first. No, <laughs> no, you're the guest. Uh, and the, go and a lady. Uh, you're a guest lady. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. Um, I do think it is one of Spike Lee's um, 
most epic classic films. I absolutely agree with the fact that I think that there is... You can see the maturation of Spike Lee as a director in this film versus the other films that preceded it. And that makes me happy. (laughs) And I also Hmm. think that it's visually stunning. It's an amazing thing to look at, to sit through two and a half hours and just kind of be there and see the ways in which... um, Malcolm X's life gets depicted on screen, which I think is something that who, people who were involved in the project originally never thought would happen. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. of all of the, the mishaps and mm-hmm. the coulda, shoulda, wouldas that went on. Um, yeah, because this movie came out in 92, but this was a project that had been in a quote-unquote making for almost 20 years, right? Yeah, yeah 20 yeah. years. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think that there were some things that Spike Lee could have done differently. But at the same time, thinking that, I also know that, A, he's a director, it's his film, it's his vision, and mm-hmm. it should be that way. Right. I don't think it should be any other way if a director is doing the piece, that's how it is. I think also that um, he had a lot of information. So he chose to move along with the script that um, was originally written by Arnold Pearl and James Baldwin. James Baldwin mm-hmm. was originally involved in it. And then because of what was happening with the film, he was like, I'm not going to do this. But he didn't say it that way. But he was very clear that he didn't want to be associated with another assassination of Malcolm X. And so Arnold Pearl goes on to create um, the script. Spike Lee takes that script, uh, makes some changes to it, additions to it, subtractions and... This is how you have Malcolm X. So as we were saying, the film was originally supposed to be uh, created about 20 years ago, 20 years preceding 1992. But for you know several reasons, it never gets made, even though the rights had been sold and the Shabazz family had agreed to having it be done. I think the, also the wonderful thing with the film is the, the products. You know, I study... Um, cultural products and cultural products that get made because of this film right. are absolutely awesome. <laughs> like, you know, and, and I and I also, because I'm a fan of drama, loved the way Amiri Baraka and Spike Lee went at it in the oh press. Oh my God. And that was just, it was just jewels on top of jewels for somebody like me <laughs> who goes and looks at this stuff. Right, right, you know, right. 20 years later and is just uh, combing through the archives and, you know, sees... Um, uh, Amir Baraka, God bless the dead, Colin, Spike Lee, you know, black middle class, this, that, and the other. Oh, so, um, but it's, I think, I I do have issues that Baraka brings up and a couple, a couple of other people bring up. Um, Michael Eric Dyson, too. It's, it's a film that is made already from a document that was created to present a particular way of looking at Malcolm X as not only a black hero, but a black martyr Mm -hmm. and someone who had given his life in the civil rights struggle, which happened. But I think in that creation of uh, black heroes and martyrs, we always have to have these unblemished, unflawed characters. And and, and that's what it becomes. It becomes a character is not a full person. And it's not a full understanding of who and what this person went through to become that hero or that um, martyr. And to me, I think that is where the failing of Spike Lee's movie comes. You don't get, I don't really see the Malcolm X that I know depicted in that film. I see the Malcolm X in the autobiography, but I do not see the Malcolm X that I know in that film. And that's my major criticism of it. Right, right. 
I think I think it's you, you know we we've we've watched one or two biographies, biographical films. And and I think you you almost have to separate how you look at these at these texts. It's like you have to look at it, you know, as a representative of a person's life. And and as he said, and I think it's something that people don't say enough, even though there's one really pivotal scene in this film that speaks to it. But but the autobiography of Malcolm X is, you know, told to Alex Haley is in itself this sort of for lack of a better word, creation yeah. of Malcolm X and a- Alex Haley at the time. So Absolutely. as you said, it's almost like a Xerox of a Xerox or mm-hmm. or an, an impression of an impression. Mm-hmm. So that even as as and, and but but as you said, I mean that's that's what everybody has read. Right. Like if you know Malcolm Correct. X's story, all you know is the autobiography of Malcolm X. Right. And maybe if you're fortunate enough to have someone tell you, uh, an actual historian, you know, this isn't just a, a, a an objective document. Like, this right. is a story that was told. But even if you don't have that, it's still your understanding of it. And then when you get this film version of that, it's almost, again, doubly removed. So that, for me... You know, I have to, I have to admit, I almost remove myself completely from that side of it, and I just look at this as a film. Mm, okay. And and as a film, it it I mean, this is a masterpiece. I, yes. I mean, it is. I, I think you you said like like this is Spike Lee at the zenith mm-hmm. of his power as a director. I think Do the Right Thing is a better film. Just because of the power sure. of do the right thing, but when you look at 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 a director in control of his craft, absolutely with this, when yes. when you look yes. at Denzel Washington in in his performance, oh, he was phenomenal. You know yeah. the the changes that he goes through mm-hmm. as a character. When you look at you, you know we're all singing the praises of Ruth Carter over the past year because of Black Panther. But you look at the costumes in this thing, the suits, the hats, the dresses, the set design, like everything in this film. And and, you know, it's it's one of those it's one of those, you know, just for our purposes, I'll speak to Lynn. Like you have a film and it's it's a film of, of such sheer quality, like you fool around and you're only talking for 10 minutes. Like, this is a good-ass movie. Good night, everybody. <laughs> so that you look for angles. And I think what I was really kind of paying attention to this time was the depiction of women. Ooh, now we go. <laughs> yeah. I... And I was fascinated by the women in the film this time as I watched it because, and, and you know, we everybody knows it, Spike Lee and his women. Spike <laughs> Lee and his women. And I thought... It's something really meaty going on there. When you look at the no, I didn't say good. Oh, okay. I said <laughs> okay. the depictions of women. So that's okay. kind of where. I, but I mean, look, it's Mike Spike Lee's Malcolm X. Go ahead, George. No, <laughs> no, I was going to say the same thing with the women because there are maybe four significant women in the film. There are other women in there, but right, his mother. Okay. Betty. Uh huh. Um, I can't remember the two chicks in Boston. Uh, Sophia is the so, white woman. Yeah, the mm-hmm. white woman and Teresa Randall. Teresa, Teresa Randall's, Randall's character, character. unnamed yeah, huh? character. No, no, she's, she's named. a named yeah, character, and right. because she has an arc where she's the good girl, then she becomes the right. 
the no, prostitute. She's in the autobiography. That's the, the yeah, whole right. thing in the autobiography so, right. that the, he chooses between these two women. Yeah, those mm-hmm. are like the only women in in the movie that we see, mm-hmm. and it was really weird because you know the mother. All we really see her is yelling and screaming. We never really see her, you know, being a regular person. She's like ah. But and Betty is just so stoic. It's, I love her role in it. Well, no, I take that back. That's what to say. Yeah, when they're arguing in in the room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so those are the only women in the movie. So he, again, this goes to Spike's issues with women or developments of women. Yeah, he's got problems with that. That that character, Teresa Randall's character is Laura. Mm-hmm. That that's her name. Um, you know. So often on these on these episodes, I'm the one that is everyone's coming at their neck because I'm just a hater, um, and I'm not really a hater. I like the movie Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it. I believe that the movie is easily an forty minutes too long. It has mm-hmm. more endings than Return of the King. It does. Right. Sorry. It does. Um, so I, there's that. There's the whole created character that Spike creates of himself to interject himself in the movie, which I actually... No, Malcolm Jarvis exists. Malcolm Jarvis is a real person. He he was uh, Malcolm Little's best friend when he went to Boston. Okay. He's and, a real character. And I, mis- and I misread some mm-hmm. information in that. But either way, it, I, it was Spike. And I was like, oh, he's doing Spike. And that was annoying. <laughs> but, you know, but but for what it was, it was like, okay, you hear of him? God bless you. Um, but I do like the film. I, I like the film. I, like you said, Mal- um, Denzel Washington, I'm about to call him Malcolm X because he becomes Malcolm X in this mm-hmm. film. Considering that he's, you know, like almost a foot shorter and, mm-hmm. you know, eight shades darker he becomes yeah. Malcolm mm-hmm. X as far as you mm-hmm. know you know and and that's God bless the the gift that that man has yes um and he considering that he is the shoulders upon who this this lofty film is is put upon he wears it well he, and he, he brings it home uh I do believe however that the shortcomings of the women depicted in this film especially his mother who I th- Lynette McGee, yeah, Lynette, 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 Lynette McGee, McGee. especially it's, especially if you go to cast Lynette McGee. Seriously, yeah. let's give us some some something that, you know to really work with. I think there there was a lot to be mined from that character in, in this film that is, is that is really left on the table. Sure, um, and especially mm-hmm. considering that early on in the film, Spike is getting his. Uh, quote unquote Quentin Tarantino on with going back and forth with the flashbacks right. yeah. and playing with time the way that he is right. I thought there was really a lot to be used for th- with that right. um, I also thought that there there was some more to be mined from Betty Shabazz especially, especially when you're seeing her conversation with Malcolm being juxtaposed with his conversation with Elijah Muhammad right. mm-hmm. as far as their whole, you know, view of a woman's role in in a man's life. I Correct. thought that was there I mean, yo, that would that could have been that could have been the movie. Right. Right mm-hmm. there. Right. The three of them kind of going back and forth. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean the the argument that you're talking about that where you see and you know, God bless Angela Bassett for for pulling off that role in that in mm. in there. I liked it. And I, I didn't enjoy it. I just wanted a little bit more. 
But know? it starts off all wrong. Even the dating scene is not. Yeah. I mean, the the whole. Day, what are they doing? They're walking around the museum, and he's talking, and it's just. It, there's no real, save for these two phenomenal actors who are playing the role. If you were to see that in a film, you would think, where is the romance? Where is the connection? Where mm-hmm. is right. the the depth of characters of any of these two people? Why am I looking at them? In this scene, because the only thing you're really getting from that scene is her hero worship of him. Correct. Which, 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 you know, is speaks to the viewpoint of the woman's role in the man in the man's life. Um, I guess, like you said, Vince, you're watching and you're paying attention to the depiction of the women. Yeah, and maybe it's because of this mission that we're on, or 2017 sensibilities, and you're you're coming through this. You know, just uh, I don't want to say more enlightened, but you just just looking at it with eyes wide open. I was just that really struck me, and it it bothered me, and it it ruined my relationship with the movie a little bit. I want to support you in your thinking. I don't think it's us. I'm sorry, I got real academic there for a minute. Um, I don't think it's us contextualizing this under a 21st century or 20th century mindset. Because even during the time period, Betty Shabazz was amazing. You know, she she is a registered nurse Mm -hmm. as a black woman coming in to... Harlem to live. She's not originally from New York. She's from the Midwest. She comes, she's adopted, comes in. She has two parents that, you know, they kind of have a okay relationship. Not the best maybe, but still enough. She decides to leave home because she wants to be an RN. She comes to New York, goes to Harlem hospital, learns how to be an RN. One of the few black women at the time, she's living in, uh, you know, one of these, um, houses with people. I forget the the boarding house. Boarding house. That's Right. right. And she decides to become a Muslim, a black Muslim. Right. Her parents freak out. Right. right? And everybody's telling her that, you know, this is not what you should be doing. You're about to enter black middle class, you know, heavendom. And you're about to give it up to belong to this cult and this sect of, you know, black otherness. Right. And she does because she believes in the principles and there's no exploration of that whatsoever. All we get is that, you know, we don't even really know she's a nurse. She's something. Yeah, we know that. There's a throwaway line like, she's, and she says, right. She got a career or something, which right. again, we're talking about the 1940s and 50s. Like yes. for a black woman to have a career that's not a maid, that's not, you know, a nanny. Huge, right? Yeah. Huge. There's no exploration of that. There's no information given towards that. There's really nothing to talk about their relationship, which, you know, by all extents, whether you want to go into Manning Marable's biography or not, they had contention. And part of the contention was this very subject. The fact that Betty Shabazz wanted to work. She didn't want to stay home. She wanted to do something else with her life because she had done something with her life. Right. And there is... Nothing, not that saying motherhood is a bad thing or saying that, you know, motherhood has to be the choice above career. Right. But clearly this was a woman who wanted to do motherhood and as opposed to motherhood only. Right. So, and he does nothing with that. Yeah. He doesn't talk about it. He doesn't talk about their relationship struggles or issues, which, okay, even if you don't want to do that, but still something to the effect of the fact that part of the struggle is that this is not a woman who doesn't use her intellectual prowess 
often. Mm-hmm. She is a woman who does that. And so right. when she's in this relationship with her husband, who believes that he is head of household and that what he says goes, it's contentious. Right. We only see them fighting over, you know, Elijah Muhammad, but they right. had, that was an issue as well. Right. You know, she always believed that Elijah Muhammad's stuff was funky. <laughs> and, and and the irony is, because I, th- I think you're right. I, I think, and, and I don't think Spike Lee was the only person like this, certainly no. not at this moment. No. But I think his instinct was, I'm going to protect, protect his image. I'm going to, but if you even think about what you're saying right now, that these, this was a man who, A, married a woman who was like this. Correct. You know, let's be clear. Malcolm X did not have to marry Betty. Malcolm no. X didn't, you know, like he Malcolm... He was dating someone else at the time, too. Exactly. <laughs> so. But for Malcolm X, on some level, yeah. to value this. Yes. The fact that, and, 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 and I think you're right, and I think we shouldn't go too far past the fact that we are talking about the 40s mm-hmm. and the 50s. For Malcolm X to be in a relationship with this woman that they argued. Yes, that's true. Yes. That we debate. Yes. That we don't see eye to eye, but, you know, sort of built in there is mm-hmm. that there's a level of respect there. Absolutely. That I do argue with you. Right. In a lot of ways, that would have made him, that would have created a better, more complex, fuller picture of this man who, you know, sort of almost by definition was always kind of changing, mm-hmm. always trying to evolve, always trying to question. And I think, you know, I think you're right. I think there's clearly not enough of no. their relationship on film. My favorite moment in the film when I watched it yesterday. And like I said, that's what it made me think, Oh wow. It's about the women. The argument that they have when he finally questions Elijah Muhammad Mm -hmm. and she's questioning him and they're going back and forth. And even when he says, you know, you're not going to raise your voice in my house, Mm -hmm. but they're arguing. And I think it's a healthy depiction of an argument. No, I was like people that love each other, you know, always got to say like, I'm, I'm a believer that children should actually see their parents argue so that they can see how people that love each other, have disagreements Mm -hmm. like there's a healthy way to have a disagreement and when you watch him and just the staging of the argument where they go from room to room there's never any fear in Betty Shabazz that this is going to go left there's never any disrespect from Malcolm towards her and this is a film that I think has set up over the past two hours that there's a real hardness in him when you look at his relationships with women, whether it's Sophia, yeah. whether it's when he's about to strike Phyllis Stickney, when she asks him about Teresa Randall, and you, it's unearned. It's not in the text, but I found that a really affecting scene that these two could actually argue. And it made me want more of what we're all saying. Like, I wanted to see what got them here. Even in this, like we said at the very beginning, an impression of an impression. Mm. Like, how did they get to this point where these two adults can argue and and it can get a little, you know, contentious, but we love each other, we're adults. And then, you know, you have sort of the um, the coda to that scene where he's writing and he's parroting what, what um, Baines tells him about, you know, Solomon and David. 
And she just very gently puts her hand on the side of his head. And I'm like, well, this is it right here. Like, this is the movie right here. And and it's just, it's not there. That would have been nice. It would have been very nice to have seen. Because they were a partnership. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I think most people don't understand that. But they really were a partnership. If you look at, um, like, there are letters that she writes to Laj Muhammad. Uh, even before the silencing, where she's talking about her husband and, and her relationship to Islam and, and the ways in which that has, you know, deepened and grown because of this relationship that she's in with her husband. And so, and she asked for things from Elijah Muhammad for her husband and, and all that kind of stuff. So they, they definitely were a partnership. And I I don't know if I lament the fact that there that is it, it isn't in the film, but I guess I go back to the point you just made about like Malcolm X. And you're right. I didn't see it before, but you're absolutely right. He is set up in the film to look like this really hard, you know, woman don't mean smack to me kind of guy. Right. And I didn't, I'd never thought of that before just because, again, that's not the, at least from my impression of what I've read and seen, not the kind of thing that you get from Malcolm X. But that is what the film shows. Right, right. It is. It, it, and that's, yeah. So you do get that. You you expect to have this element of violence or some kind of retribution happen when right. they're having that argument. Or at least and implied. It, or at least implied, yeah. yeah, something. But the fact that they it doesn't happen. And I wonder if Spike Lee did that because he wanted to show the softer side of Malcolm. Like, she means more to him than these other women kind of thing. I don't know. It's an interesting question to think about the ways in which he depicts Malcolm as being this very hard character. And then in the moment where he can exhibit the most power and most agency to, you know, quiet his wife, as anybody would have given him the right to do in that point in time in our history, he doesn't. So I don't know. Yeah. That's interesting. And then the last thing he does right before he's assassinated, Mm -hmm. he apologizes to a woman. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry for raising my voice so that you do see this arc. Mm-hmm. But again, it's unearned. You got to dig for it. And like you said, I wonder how much of it is Spike Lee and how much of it is Spike Lee had the sense to cast Denzel Washington, who has, you know, a sensibility about these things. Again, thank God for small favors. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, honestly, how could is, if anyone else had done the role at the time, I don't know if it would have gone off as successfully as it did. I I doubt it highly. It, I mean, who... Uh, yeah, I can't think of anybody who, else no. currently. I was about to say, <laughs> let's, let's just open up the curtains through time. Who else could have pulled this off? Because, I mean, to... I mean, he any, has Roger Gavir, Roger Gunavir Smith in the film already. Already, yeah, so you so can't play can't twice. Play him. Damn, he could have pulled it off. He could have pulled it off. Damn, I didn't <laughs> have to open up the curtains of time. <laughs> just who's on the set? Who's on the set can play Malcolm X? Roger Gunnar Smith. Oh, we're, we're big fans. Oh. We're, we're big, big fans on this oh, show. Amazing. Huge fans of, of of him. And but the film is filled with like these yes. little bit character actors. Yeah, that just, just pop. You mentioned the the young lady that he almost hits. Um, oh, Phyllis Stickney. Yeah, my girl Phyllis Stickney. Yeah, she. I mean, like, like, and when you. Cast somebody like that who immediately you see them. You don't have to know anything about their character. 
their presence just presents the character to you. You know what I mean? But in, in Roger, Roger Gouverneur Smith and his, he does something with his eyes in that, in his scene, he does something with his eyes and immediately, you know, everything about that character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You knew mm-hmm. everything about Culture Kings is a podcast on the How Stuff Works Network, hosted by comedians Jackie's Neal and Edgar Montplacier. Every Wednesday and Friday, these two friends dive into topics ranging from sports, music, to movies, style. They wonder whether or not Donald Glover is a genius or a weirdo. They continuously decipher Kanye West's tweets and behavior. They also have recurring segments like Queen of the Week, The List, and Top Fives like Marvel Movies and Video Games. Listen to Culture Kings and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and find out the best way to eat a taco. Oh, what's the best way to eat a taco, Vince? With your hands? With your hands. Also, with salsa on top of everything to hold the ingredients down. It's like a layer. It's the layer. Right. So that the lettuce doesn't fall off. Can't have falling lettuce. And he just he just laid it on a line. I will admit, you have given me more of an appreciation for his his work than I had before, and I never thought he was bad. Mm-hmm. But now I really pay attention to like how like incredible an actor he is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the person to me on that side of the ledger who stole steals this movie. Is Delroy Lindo? Come yeah. on, oh, man. Yes. Come on, man. That's without a doubt. What? Oh my god. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Archie, yes. where's the West Indian yes. Archie movie? Archie. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm talking about, man. That would be an awesome. No, that's a Netflix series oh, right there. Oh my god, he's the what? best. He is god. the all the way, all the way to the end in that heartbreaking yeah. scene. Yeah. Him in this little ranch shack up, up in the Bronx, up in the Bronx, just <laughs> debilitated. Oh, if y'all can see the looks being exchanged, <laughs> we gonna get some Lower East Side people later. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he just he just he just stole my heart with that. Yeah, he was great, but he's he's another. Yeah, like you said, he's one of the phenomenal actors and actresses that are in this film. Like he he stacked the deck in the right yeah. way. Yeah. Definitely with, yeah, but he did. I mean, Spike Lee, that is, uh, with the casting, with his casting director, you know, um, with his Ernest Dickerson as his uh, cinematographer. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, he stocks the de- He knows what he's doing. It's not, you know, oh, playing yeah. around. He yeah, gets that, people who yeah. are awesome at their craft to do what they do best. And thankfully, I don't know if they have a relationship with him, which they probably do, but they have like, they do this thing where they work at their best under whatever he's prescribing it to be. He mm-hmm. went to school with um, Ernest Dickerson, I believe. They went to film yes, school. Yes, yeah, I think they, they did. So that's why they had that short language with the, within themselves. Mm-hmm. So the scene where they're at the bar and and Malcolm's talking to Archie, mm-hmm. he had it shot so that it was one take. They're, okay. they're talking to each other and they're shooting. So the camera's are over each other so they're catching Archie they're catching Malcolm so they're acting off of each other um so there are times where Malcolm um Spike. where Spike is doing his thing where it's genius and then there are times where he gets in the way like as far as time goes I think the only thing about this movie that we could pull out is that dance scene 
at the yeah. beginning. Yeah, that's him trying to get his. Uh, I love that scene. Though. <laughs> no, it takes you so out of the movie. It, it takes is you out of the movie. It is because he's looking at you. He's, oh, oh, no, no, no. Yes, the end. It, I mean, it's a set. It's a set piece. But that's what I'm saying. It's, it's one of those moments out of the he's trying to the film. I think if you're establishing that this is where he comes from, which he was. That's I. I, I saw it the same way. Yeah. I saw it as like, okay, he's trying to say this cat is hip. You know, right, it right. didn't really. But you get yeah. that from you get that from the Tom and Jerry suit. All the way in the suit suits. How dare oh, you? I, I think of the classic Tom and Jerry <laughs> yes. Carter design Thank suit you. suits. These are what zoot suits, riots, boy. Okay, they were zoot suits. And I, 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 hey, there was yeah. a famous okay. episode of Tom and Jerry. What time were? Uh, yes, yes, I remember they had the hangers. Yes, and everything. Okay. And so that's what I. That's what I go to. It, but but yes. you you get it from there and the and the walk and the second you walk into into the party. You're there because, like you all said, the stage direction and the setting and, and, the, and the costuming in this movie, it does take you back in time. Yeah. It does place you in that space. So if you have a couple of people dancing, that's fine. If you have the, the, um, uh, the one lady going and go get Shorty and start dancing with him, that's fine. You're in that space. You don't then need to cut to a dance number. This is not 42nd <laughs> yeah. Street. And that's what happens. I mean, you don't have to. But it's a great scene. It's not no, a great scene because it's not even well done. I don't mind the dancing. Like, yeah. They're dancing. But then it becomes... That second part of school days. Yes. And and it's a number. It's a musical it's a number. Musical number. I it's enjoy not well shot. And it becomes and it's Malcolm's great. not well shot. It's hard to shoot a Lindy Hop. Come on now. I'm, I'm sure it is. And and look, of all the things, Denzel was just a touch stiff. Well, that's why the only yeah. right, right, that's why. I mean, I mean, let's be clear. This this is there was Spike a stunt double. There was one stunt double. Was indulgent. This is him at his most self-indulgent. Absolutely. Well, three hours is at his most self-indulgent. That's what we're saying. But But Malcolm claims that he was a great dancer. But Malcolm was, you know, paying homage. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's almost like you needed, like we're saying it was too long. In a lot of ways, it was too short. Like you needed like two separate movies almost. Like the movie should have ended with him converting. No, I, I Cause I've thought about that too, and it should have been like a three night epic, so right? Two right. Hours. <laughs> yeah, right. Because when so, he leaves the nation, you almost need a whole film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, those are those are the rises, like Shakespeare. Sure. You got the rise and the fall. But again, he sticks to the script that he got. The script right. that he got doesn't but talk the about script, the, whole, the script and the, the screenplay. Beyond, I'm going to Africa. Right. <laughs> you know, that's now, it. I didn't want to lose this because yeah. I I wanted you. The scene with Roger Gouvernan is mm-hmm. it's sort of the the classic um, Russian roulette story. Oh, oh, yeah. Which, which you know, and, and you'll forgive me, I didn't reread the autobiography of Malcolm X. Yeah, yeah plenty but of time. I know, <laughs> I know Malcolm tells Alex the story straight. <laughs> and then at some point, he admits to Alex Haley that he palmed the bullet. But I don't know if it's in the text of Malcolm X in the autobiography or this is something that he told him after the fact. But it speaks to what we said at the very beginning, how even the autobiography of Malcolm X is Malcolm kind of making this myth of himself. So as a historian looking at this this 
cultural artifact, if you will. Like, how do you reconcile that? And, and I think that scene is a perfect. I, I think I'm fine with it. Um, I think the problem is that there are lots of other people who aren't. Um, and, and people who are very invested in projecting blackness as this um, resilient, strengthening, um, never fading, ever vigilant, um, slavery can't get me down kind of thing. And in that moment when you have to have scenes like this, where you have... Malcolm X talking to Alex Haley about it. And, and you know, the autobiography talks about a little bit, uh, Alex Haley did a little bit about talking about how it was very hard for Malcolm X to talk about himself. Originally, the idea was for the autobiography to be um, really a, a, a kind First of... Person. Not even. It was supposed to be this praising homage to Elijah Muhammad. Um, no, okay. It was supposed to be this thing where Malcolm X kind of went into how Elijah Muhammad had quote unquote saved his life mm -hmm. and right. all the things that he owed to Elijah Muhammad for, um, you know, continuing the nation of Islam because Elijah Muhammad didn't start it, but definitely continued it, uh, and making it into this, this great, uh, sect of Islam. So when the split happened and the contract had already been signed and had been approved and all that, the book had to go into another direction. And the direction that Haley suggested, of course, which is what he always wanted. Right. He always thought that Malcolm, people came to the nation because of Malcolm, not because of Elijah Muhammad. Um, and which caused Malcolm X a huge amount of problems and, and uh contentions within Elijah Muhammad's uh, family and within the structure of the Nation of Islam and within even the ministership. It was a huge deal that Malcolm X had garnered all of this attention, mm -hmm. all of this publicity, mm -hmm. that he was well-spoken, that white folks liked to invite him to Harvard. Like This, this was huge <laughs> for them. So when the split happens and they begin to go and have this autobiography and he begins to Really, the one of the ways in which Haley begins to draw Malcolm X out is two things: by talking about dancing and talking about his mom. That's how he gets Malcolm X to begin right. to open up to him. So when he begins to tell stories, even in the telling of the stories that he's, you know, depicting, they're not completely. You know, no one tells everything, and so yeah, of course right. Malcolm not, X is not telling everything. So right. one of the stories that he doesn't tell everything on is this story with uh, the Roger Winnebier Smith character. And this becomes a point of contention for uh, Manning Marable's biography because the, the way the story unfolds in the autobiography is that this person sets up the relationship uh, with the older man that he says, you know, we can go into his house and steal the stuff. He's a, a rich person. But in fact... It's Malcolm who has the relationship with this older man, mm -hmm. and that's how they know about what's in the house and, and uh, begin to set up plots about going into people's houses and uh, stealing stuff. Right. So in the film, of course, it becomes this thing where Malcolm is the leader of the gang that's kind of, you know, setting up the whole thing. Um, in the book, it's also depicted that way too that he's kind of like well we're gonna do this my way or no way right, um, right. and i don't know it, it's never i think manning marable does a, a great deal of trying to unsort and unpack and try to get to the truth but um it's not really clear if 
he really was in charge of the gang or if he just took charge of the gang or right. how it got set up. But nonetheless, you know, they get arrested and he ends up doing right, a bit right. because of it. But I think for me, I see it as like everyone. We have a public image that we put out into the world. And then there's our private selves that we allow certain people to see and certain people to partake and share in that. I think Malcolm X, you know, unlike most people, had a life that had that was so open, that had to be in so many different positions, that had to not only be a religious person, but also be a leader of black people trying to gain their full rights as American citizens. And within that context, there's there's very little that you can do that shows you having weaknesses or flaws, even though you have them. And so I think that's where it gets sticky. But for me, I'm cool with that. I think mm-hmm. it doesn't diminish him to say this or to be this person that's trying to play that he's all, you know, badass. But just, I think it's also realistic in some way. So I don't know if Spike is, is you know, where the truth lies in this. But I think that it's, it's fully taken advantage of to position again this kind of character of Malcolm X being this always, you know, there's no point in time where yeah. in this entire film yeah. where he is not being absolutely strong, absolutely, you know, self-contained, self-possessed, uh, completely always knowing the right thing to say at the right time. Like, he's perfect, <laughs> you know? Well, except for then, and I'm glad we got to this because I didn't want to lose it, except when he meets Elijah Muhammad. Played by Al Freeman, who we have yes. not. Have we not yeah. mentioned Al yeah, Freeman as yeah, Elijah yeah. Muhammad in this? He so. was good. He was also oh, another Al one. Fr- he really a lot of people we didn't talk it's, about it's, in the movie. Yeah, it's yeah, a film it's filled with you know great performances. Mm-hmm. Maybe wow. not Spike Lee as Shorty. I don't know if Spike Lee <laughs> have himself. You, have, you need to go and look up Malcolm Jarvis, and you will see that Malcolm Jarvis is is kind of like yeah. the character that Spike and in Spike's defense, as I've mentioned before, I think in 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 this film famously ran into budget issues. Yes, mm-hmm. very much. There's so. no question in my mind that part of the production deals that were in place were that Spike Lee have a role. Spike Lee had to be in the film, so. You know, well, he stole the directorship from Norman Jewison. So, well, well, right, right. Have to be I, you know what? Strong like, arms, you know, is a better. <laughs> we mentioned it like we're, we're like an hour in. When you take out an ad in variety, yeah. I think it's a little bit more Dude, strong. <laughs> we actually need an hour to talk about <laughs> the, making the saga of the making of <laughs> Malcolm X. Yes, absolutely. I mean, my. Goodness, like um, you said. On the way over here, we were talking about it in that the legacy of Malcolm X and how Malcolm X doesn't get made without Bill Cosby. Bill yeah. as one of yes, the people, right. people that comes in that comes in. I mean, he's money. at the end. You, you he, know, it's, he he writes the check. Right. Then. Like like you want to talk about radical depictions and ra- mm-hmm. like to me, the most radical moment in the film is the 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 uh credits. Where it yes. shows uh, all of yep. the black people wearing the X hats yeah. yep. who had written checks yep. to help finance it. And it is like like we were all so innocent so many years ago where we were thinking, wow, look at Bill Cosby being involved in something <laughs> controversial. <laughs> My goodness, who would think Bill Cosby would? Is he going to be all right? Yeah. 
has to protect his brand, but he's sitting up there and Magic Johnson and Janet yeah. Jackson and I mean uh, it, Jordan, yeah, M- Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, and, and it Prince. really it really was this. Well, I mean, just even in the film itself, oh, yeah. sort of this depiction of the power of the black dollar. Oh, absolutely. Because you know, like absolutely. you said, this was very much a public production. Yeah. And there were lots of things as you know, I'm not like I'm actually old enough. I remember it happening in real time where they were saying, you know, is this <laughs> going to get completed? Oh, they've ran into budget issues. Oh, Spike Lee got some money. Oh, what's what's going to happen? And to your point, like it absolutely ends three different times. Yeah. But I feel like Spike Lee was almost taking a victory lap. Like I did it. And now we going to have this moment. And now, you know, Nelson Mandela has been out of prison for 15 minutes. We're going to put Nelson Mandela in. I am Malcolm X. You know, and now we're going to show all these black people with the hats. And now he's, and, and, and now we're on Harlem. And now, and now we're in, and we did it. And it was, it's too long. It ends three different times. You want to talk about editing it, you can probably edit it. But at that, in 1992, come on, man. That bro, Look, I can't... I, it was epic. It I can't believe he it pulled epic. it off. I can't believe they pulled it off right now. I don't know how this happened. When it opens, <laughs> it's opening with Rodney King getting beat. I yeah, mean, that was right, great. Right. You know, he actually so, put that in the film. Yeah. yeah. That was amazing. So, y'all waiting for me? I, we are. <laughs> we are. We waiting for the you. best part of this is watching the academics exactly. go. I was like, <laughs> I can turn on the microphones and let these two go. I mean, we're an hour in already, so I'm like, what, I, what y'all need me for? What y'all need a little comic book artist for? Like, y'all, got, y'all got this. Y'all, I mean, yup. <laughs> I mean, is there, is there anything else y'all want to talk about? about, 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 about? I, 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 well, then let's look a little I, bit I, about the, the little the drama between Spike Lee getting this film. I mean, that, I think, well, well, I mean, even, even that, I, I mean, even, no, I was going to say, because the drama, and I'm assuming you're talking about the Nor- Norman mm-hmm. Jewison right, type of thing. Right, right. Because, you know, there is this, you know, Spike Lee, black people should make this movie. That, <laughs> you know what I mean? And and uh, this movie was originally, it was going to be Norman Jewison, the director, who... Um, has shown that he has his way around a black cast. In the heat mm-hmm. of the night. In the, a yeah. soldier story. Yes. And worked with Denzel, the person yes. that brought Denzel to the project. That's yes. right. You know? Um, and Denzel, outside of a play, admittedly, by his own admission, not that well-versed in the history of, of Malcolm mm-hmm. X, you know, but was looking forward to this. And it was only because then Spike Lee, you know, who... Called himself one of the you know ambassadors of blackdom at the time, you know, hollered up and was like, "No, harumph!" I say, <laughs> you know, got up on Michael Jordan's shoulders and was like, "Yo, hold up, clap back!" And like you say, strong armed this movie from Norman Jewison, who I have to say, I'm a Spike Lee fan. I would have been very interested in seeing Norman Jewison with this story in his hands. Yes, I would like too. to see the parallel like universe version. Yeah. yeah, the Murray universe version. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And then you know the irony is that everything that Spike Lee was was saying and all of the attacks that he lobbed against Norman Jewison and everybody, mm-hmm. Amiri Baraka turns around. Well, that's the loveliness. <laughs> 
and says, "Hold on, black the middle class boy." <laughs> See, the problem with with playing the blacker than thou game, mm. it's always somebody a little blacker than you. So then you have that, and and you know, once the product is finished, you, you know the the two. The two arguments that I always remember from Amiri Baraka, because first of all, Amiri Baraka was against it. From the beginning. From the beginning all the way to the moment it came out. Absolutely. And then when he saw the finished product. I, I was going to interject quickly because um, Norman Joyson is a famous director, but I feel like people may not know Amiri Baraka's name. So give people. Oh, wow. poet, uh, one of the, the, the saints of the black arts movement, mm-hmm. uh, critic, playwright. Basically, you know, ran for mayor of Newark. Now his son is his son's now the mayor of <laughs> yeah. Newark. Yeah. I mean, you know, literally one of the most important American artists of yeah, the past and, and black intellectuals. Yeah. I mean, really, like, no, but, but it's just no, 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 no. Like, like, like if if you know about Langston Hughes or James Baldwin, Baldwin or exactly. or Toni Morrison, you know, I'm thinking about people who not only were artists but were also critics. Mm-hmm. You should know about Amiri Baraka. Right. Yeah. And Amiri Baraka thought that Spike Lee was completely unable to yes. do this, frankly. Yes. Because of political reasons. And then Amiri Baraka was not a huge fan of Spike Lee's work, work. as no. a director. Wow. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it really was. No, he was shook up. He definitely, yeah. you know, the famous line, of course, is that um, Spike Lee was pimping Malcolm X. Yes. So, um, yes. He. And- and yeah. you know, as you mentioned, it doesn't help that for a year before the film came out, anybody who was anybody had one of those X hats. X hats, X jackets, X sold shirts. exclusively in Federated Department stores. That's right. <laughs> I I used to run to my corner store every payday with three dollar bills and get three dollars worth of X chips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They were delicious. But I remember the two great critiques after the film was finally completed was, A, he said that, and I don't know if Amiri Baraka himself said that, but the critique that I always heard was, A, Spike Lee spent too much on the time that Malcolm spent with Sophia. And, I believe and, he said that. And specifically, mm-hmm. there's a moment where, where Malcolm checks in with Shorty and he mm-hmm. asks about the old gang mm-hmm. and he asks about Sophia. Mm-hmm. And Amiri Barak was like, that never would have happened. Malcolm never would have asked about her and asked about anything. And then there is the great controversy of Malcolm X's death where, you know, there was the critique yes. that Spike Lee went too much with the accepted narrative that the nation of Islam assassinated Malcolm X, as opposed to many people who feel that the American government was involved, you know, mm-hmm. pick your letters, COINTELPRO, the CIA, the FBI. I like to just say the alphabet soup <laughs> of the government. Of espionage. Right, right. <laughs> so that's probably worth saying and getting that on as well. Yeah. The I, Sophia yeah. part, I thought it was just sort of a plot thing like like there's a character that you've seen earlier in the film and you know you kind of bring her I I think I've I've always been a little because uh, even in the autobiography there's not there is mention of the relationship with um, the Sophia character and mention of the fact that you know uh, at one yeah she was engaged and then and being married but that didn't stamp, uh, stamp out the relationship and 
of course, Malcolm to Alex Haley talks about this whole idea of having this relationship with this white woman um, and the status that having a relationship with a white woman gave at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does, but I guess Baraka wanted and other people, he doesn't, he does Spike Lee as opposed to closing that chapter as Malcolm X did. He never really does. He kind of leaves it up in the air. Like this relationship meant so much to him. Right. Whereas in the autobiography, it seems like it wasn't necessarily the relationship as much as the view that the relationship offered the world. That I, black man, am in a position of power because of uh, my ability to have and consort with this white woman who already has obligations to another man, but still prefers me mm-hmm. so i i don't know if spike lee could do that because mm. that's another right level yeah. of you know real talk blackness that i've never really seen him go to so. right right <laughs> does he follow malcolm up with jungle fever yes that's he the does next, that's yes. the next film and it seems like it is like he it looks like he's that's using this yeah, sophia said, malcolm thing to kind of absolutely think he does uses that he uses that kind of that relationship yeah. to put it on without talking about the power dynamics without really doing a really good job of even involving Sophia in the discussion of it. Because when the autobiography comes out, the real Sophia has to yet again deal with the fact that not only was she in a relationship with this black man, but she was almost arrested for, you know, being part of the gang where, you know, right. we go and rob and steal and, you know, play cops and robbers at the end of the day. Brunch was probably awkward in her <laughs> so, that weekend. Absolutely. Uh, you know, with the husband, uh, you know, as an attache. Yeah. But... And there's no, there's no, and again, I don't know if this is Spike Lee's issue with women or just being able to depict a solid woman character. It, he doesn't do anything with the available women characters that he has to give them a depth, to give them a voice, to give them a standing, a position, anything that right. resembles, you know, fluidity or, you know, just depth give me something like okay right. she can't keep flipping her hair like that's right. all they right. seem to do is you know flip their hair so i i don't know i just and i think that baraka's contention of it was trying to lessen the power dynamic so i think baraka i think baraka knows what this is about right. and he's like spike lee focusing on it even though he's not explaining why he's focusing on it he is bringing this discussion to the table. And I don't think Baraka wants to have this discussion because of, of course, his own past. But, uh, you know, just he doesn't want to have this power dynamic exist within the black community where you look to black men dating white women or other women as a symbol of of agency and power as opposed to um, solid relationships. Sure. And and the way the assassination is handled in the film. Yeah. I mean, that's that's still right now. People are still, you know, when um, a Hamer Talmadge, I forget, uh, got released, one of the, you know, so um, the three assassins, uh, two of them have been released. I think all three of them have been released, I should say. I'm not, don't quote me, but um, for sure, two of them have been released, not the one that was at the... Um, the, that was held on. So when Malcolm X gets assassinated, as sure people who've seen the movie or read the Giancarlo character. Yeah, so there is mm-hmm. someone who <laughs> starts a fight in the crowd. 
you know, Malcolm says, hey, hey, hold on. You know, we're not here for that because he is announcing, which Spike Lee never says. He is announcing the opening of the organization of Afro-American unity. And he never wants. And this is the new organization that Malcolm X had envisioned to hold people who were not into Islam who were not into the Muslim mosque united, but Mm -hmm. who wanted to work with him. So all kinds of people could come to the OAAU and be a part of that, which many people did. You know, uh, Herman Ferguson, tons of people who just worked with, uh, just worked with different issues in New York, especially, you know, education, um, different uh, ideas with um, ACS and stuff like that, interventions in households and all that. So there were a lot of people who were people against police brutality because at the time, Malcolm X is one of the first people who says you should not be stopped and frisked because you look like a person who may have committed a crime. So he's always talking about these major Radical. issues, you know. And wants to get with people who are wanting to do the work of trying to reform these issues. So this is his organization. He's about to make this announcement, which he didn't make the week before because of um, issues. And so he gets killed and assassinated. Instead of Spike Lee talking about that, you know, he won't. He doesn't want to get political, which is, you know, there. But there's a fight. The fight breaks out. There are several people people assume there are about five people they're the two people who are fighting then are about three other people who begin to open shots on malcolm as he's standing at the podium um and then when one of the people begins to run out the crowd is able to hold on to him right um so and 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 beat him up like the crowd goes down and starts beating him up he's injured within this and so he gets arrested and supposedly the New York City Police Department um, went and questioned him and he named two other people. The two other people that he named are members of a mosque in Newark, I believe, and adamantly say they are not involved. They have not been involved. Um, yes, they had not sided with Malcolm when he decided to leave the nation, but were not involved in his assassination. So when one of these men was released um, after serving 20 years, there was a whole big thing about should this man be released? Like he killed Malcolm X. Even though, you know, we we don't know. We don't right. have the evidence to clearly and, right. you know, clear cut support this. So, I mean, it's it's a huge part of the history and, and legacy, like Carmona was talking about, of Malcolm X. But Spike Lee doesn't really touch it. And I don't think, I think that's because Spike Lee doesn't really have a desire to get into this black political, you know, quagmire that happens right. when we begin to talk about certain people. And he just doesn't want to go against the nation because at the time he he was down with the nation and getting right. support from the nation for this film. Right. So, you know, how do you then say the nation comes out and, you know, kills him? He just sets up the scenario uh, where you oh. have one of the people being caught. No, one of the things I was saying and when I rewatched it myself, I was listening with the commentary. He did go and spoke with a couple of people but then there's also talk of people that are left out. Like, there's no mention of Farrakhan yeah. in the movie right. at all. He's And Farrakhan not... was Malcolm X's protege. Exactly. Yeah. Who decided to stay in the nation when Malcolm X left. There's, there are a lot of things yeah. left out of the movie, like his relationship with Ali. Yeah. Yeah, never no, touched on that. That's, that either. that's I, something yeah. I'm like... I actually, for years thought that the casting of Giancarlo Esposito as one of the assassins mm-hmm. was sort of a sideways depiction of Farrakhan. Oh. Oh. 
but this time when I watched it, I forgot that Giancarlo Esposito is the one who takes, who gives Atala her teddy bear back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Betty says, come on. I'm like, well, no, that can't be Farrakhan. Because Betty would have recognized him. Yeah. But for years, I always thought... But they thought, say the ministers who killed Malcolm X came out of Farrakhan. I mean, that was the whole controversy right. why Malcolm X's daughter wanted to... Um, Assassinate Farrakhan. I was waiting for for the kill to come out of you. Because Farrakhan. Yeah. On a cinematic note, that that look that Giancarlo does, he's got the smile, he's all nice to her, gives her the teddy bear, and then as soon as she turns around, Stone Cold Killer. See, but that's the reason why you cast somebody like Giancarlo Esposito for what many people might have thought is just a throwaway character. You need him. him. He Mm -hmm. does. I mean, Mm -hmm. did you see that was Wendell Pierce? Who yelled, get your hands out my pocket the first time? <gasps> no! You're right. Oh, really? And he's really? one of the assassins. Like, I joked yes. at the very beginning that this particular episode is spades tight. This yeah. whole film, it is ridiculous the level of talent that's involved. Wow. Absolutely. I did not know. In that. his defense. I didn't think about that. He wasn't Wendell Pierce. Yeah, I mean, at but, that but he's still, you know, I mean, he's still oh, yeah, an yeah. actor of note and he has yeah. the talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Yeah. <sighs> I, I mean, at some, I mean, how do you how do you end this, Lynn? <laughs> it's a, it's like a Spike Lee movie. Like it just, just doesn't end. <laughs> I mean, you can't. We've had like three endings. <laughs> get on the dolly and just keep going as a film. Right, this is, past this is real meta. Like we're real meta right now. <laughs> well, okay. I am. And this the is, miss your mission. This is only the second time he uses that dolly trick. <laughs> Is this is the second that, time? This is only the second time he does the Wait dolly. A oh, no, that's no. a standard thing. No, it's not. No, he doesn't do the right thing and school days. No. Yes, he yes. does. No, yes. He does when it in school days. He does it in. Yes. No, 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 no. The, the school days is more of a spinning around. In, in, oh, you mean just the. When he's right. walking. Right, when right, right, when right. He right, runs right, into the, the old lady. Yeah. And he's on. He's. he's Floating down the right, street. Right, so it's in okay. Do the Right Thing and it's in this? It's in, no, Mo it's in Mo Better Blue. No, it is in Mo Better Blue. I thought it was in, and I, obviously I'm wrong. I guess it's not in Do the Right Thing. But I thought, it, I thought he also did it in um, She's Gotta Have It. I don't no, he doesn't so. do it in She's Gotta Have I think It. He does do it in Do the uh, Right Thing. The, it's, there's the, the thing where they're just floating. Right. right. And you're right. It's not, no, music. you're right. He's right. You're right. So... And then that's when the old lady comes up, like right, right, Jesus, right. Jesus will save you. I said, "Oh, Spike!" <laughs> yeah. Like he gets these little petty jabs in at like sort of the 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 standardized civil rights movement. It's yeah. like, "Oh, Spike, you're so petty right now." But so would you? <laughs> would you recommend that people watch Malcolm X? I recommend you read the autobiography. Um, but if, you know, in the Cliff Note day and age, this the, the film would, would be probably akin to looking at reading the book. I think it does follow the same pattern of the book. Mm-hmm. So I would say that. Well, maybe not as a history lesson. Not but as, as a, a history, film. As a film. As a would film, you recommend yes. It? It's visually stunning. It is an amazing piece of work um, about... A great subject and the, as we've all been talking about the acting is phenomenal um the scenes are 
great. The sets, everything works in terms of making this a really wonderful film to just watch. I agree. It, it ends about, you know, five different times and, and one of them should have been the one. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you should definitely watch it. If you've never seen it, it's, it is one of Spike Lee's classic Spike Lee film that you should definitely see. I would say this is a near perfect movie and that's, that's, that's really hard to do. So it's, it's up there. It's near perfect. Um, if you see it on TNT, watch it. It's on, t- you don't need, you don't need the cursing. I think you need I, to watch it uninterrupted. You do need yes. to watch it uninterrupted. You, and, and you at least need to watch it. BT. They cut it, you know, because How would they cut it. What would they cut? They would cut, 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 cut five minutes. <laughs> they they choose one. So before we end up in another ending, yes, I recommend it wholeheartedly. Watch it on it. I bought a Blu-ray player just because I thought I had it on DVD and didn't. And I was like, you know what? We're gonna go all in and get the Blu-ray of Malcolm X. Oh yeah. I mean, look, yeah, absolutely. This 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 is required viewing. Yeah. You have to watch this. You have to to watch Malcolm X. I you know I, I actually was very frustrated because I was going to use Malcolm X to once again go into my screed about the Oscars not being oh. anything because no one was nominated for this. Right. No, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yo, uh, Denzel, Denzel was nominated. Was, I said but but oh. Denzel Washington he lost to Al Pacino mm. for Scent of a Woman. Oh. The funny thing is when you read everything from that moment Everyone, including Al Pacino, to a certain extent, realized that he didn't win it for Scent of a Woman. No. Yeah. It was a Lifetime Achievement Award. Mm-hmm. I also think you could make a really good argument. Like, I begrudgingly admit you could argue that Unforgiven was a better film than this and that Clint Eastwood was a better director. But it certainly should have been nominated for Best Picture and Best Director. And I think that's the conversation that I would love to have for an hour. Like, what's a better film, Unforgiven or Malcolm X? See, I haven't seen Unforgiven. Because I think... <gasps> no, in that... And, and, they, <laughs> and they do two different things. Yeah, they, like, yeah. there are two completely different modes, which, and you have two master directors at work. So that I can't even, you know, be super angry about that part of it. Yeah, I can't either because I think I do think Unforgiven is a better movie. But I would agree. But it is this. Yeah, this is required viewing. It, it is. I, I'll I'll give you that though. It is required viewing, and it it is. And we we've covered a few, but this is definitively one of the canon of black films. Oh, yeah, like sure. If you're going to have sure. a shelf of films in your house, like Malcolm, there there had better be an X, otherwise you're you're canceled. All right, you're you're on an island with Kanye, so <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, this was this was really a good time, and it was actually um, this was a movie that I've thought about us doing before, but was always hesitant because honestly, I was like, ah, I don't know if I want to sit and watch it. So, but then being made to watch it by yeah. George selecting it, I was very happy. Yeah, to do so, and and just one more thing about the the endings because you know there are there are like five different but i do remember seeing it in the because you know i do think it's hard to separate this from everything that was happening at that moment like this is Mm -hmm. such a contextually heavy film 
I was bawling like a baby when I saw it in the movies. So that I actually needed four different endings to get myself together. Because, yeah, yeah, like, once Aretha Franklin starts singing Take It From Me, well, uh, oh, oh, I was done. Wait, did you do like Spike said? You cut class? <laughs> I mean, I was in college, so oh, yeah, yeah, so I, yeah. But I, you know, because it, 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 and to your point about watching it on television or not, yeah. like, when you watch it in one sitting, yes. yes. It is epic. Mm-hmm. So that, you know. Well, yeah. Like I said, it, it it is a guaranteed epic, and I think this may be one of the best, and certainly in my mind, the last great biography that I've seen. Right. All right. All right. Well, George, Lisa, this has been fantastic. Right. Well, thank <laughs> you. Oh, look at, we had fun. Classing up the yeah. joint. Did we? Well, she did. Oh. <laughs> you did too, George. You did too. No, 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 Don't no. Don't sell no. yourself short, George. Well, you know what? <laughs> you class it up right. because you brought Lisa. There you go. That was, that was my There you go. I stacked the day. We played space. Yeah, yeah. I loaded right, the right, big you, and the little. Right, right, right. You were feeding right. <laughs> Most definitely. And if people that uh, check out the show and say, like, ooh, I like them. I want to hear more from them. How can they get in touch with you, Lisa? Uh, I, I am anti-social media, but I've been forced to have Facebook, so I am <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> I am. <laughs> That's usually not the pill that people swallow. They, I they know, swallow right? A but, you yes. know. Get a Twitter for you. Mm. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> Apparently, you get in touch with George. Yeah. <laughs> you can go to my website, fistfulofart.com. My social media tags are there. Um, so I'm on Twitter and uh, Twitter, I want to say Instagram, but that's more for like my niece and nephew because I love them. This has been fun. Thank you so much. Yes. Oh, thank, thank y'all you for having so us. Thank you so much. Well, y'all, have to, y'all, y'all have to come back, y'all. Absolutely. Because well, George selected this film, so now you have to select the film, Lisa. Oh! Right. <laughs> and dude, no I pressure. I just finished no. teaching a, a film class. Oh, so I did. Oh, oh sorry. yeah. Yeah, I did oh, youth boy. culture this semester okay. at uh, New Jersey Institute of Technology. So I, I showed a couple of films that I loved. And also no pressure because I know this gets very sensitive. But when you finish your book, yeah, you have to let us know. Oh, yeah, for I sure. I heard you mention you had a book project yes, coming up. I so. have my proposal. So, so no pressure. <laughs> No, I already, yeah, right. you know the academic world. Yes, so. yes, that's why I did it very gingerly. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but when it's finished. Yes. Or when you want to talk, please let us know. Oh, definitely. That'd be great. All right. There you go. Then, well, then, then you'll be. All right. I'll, when when you do a Spock adjacent. All I'll right. Be, I'll be here. All right. We got another Spock adjacent. I mean, we're just lining up Spock adjacent. We're just lining up guests. Spock adjacent Here on guests. the Michelle Mission. That's right. This is incredible. It's incredible. Uh, this has been fun. Um, we got to get out of here, ladies and gentlemen. This show will be available for your download, stream, and pleasure on MichelleMission.com, as well as available as a podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Google Play, and any place and every place that good podcasts be, including on the podglomerate home of very special curated podcasts just for you. And you can hear this show available as a radio show on Saturdays at 1 p.m. on WPPMLP 106.5 FM People Power Media, Philly Cam Radio in in Philadelphia and Camden. And you can spend your Mondays with Michelle every Monday morning at 9 on WKDU 91.7 FM in Philadelphia.
I get everything, Vince? You did. Very good. All right. Um, if you like, like us, follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at Michelle Mission. Join the Facebook fan group, Michelle Mission, where we are having balls of fun. Yeah, you see, Lisa, you could do that. That's on Facebook. <laughs> you begrudgingly have a Facebook, is from what I understand. Yes. <laughs> so you can have fun with it. Well, we, we get it in. Yeah. In there. We have, have a good time. Um, and if you want to do, do us a big favor, support Black Podcasts, first and foremost, and go on to Apple Podcasts and leave us a ranking and ratings because that really helps people uh, find our little show. Okie dokie. Okie dokie. He's Vince. I'm Len. In parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again.